Has anything like that ever appeared in human history? There's nothing like it. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. The iron curtain between East Germany and West Berlin has come tumbling down. Good evening. It's a killing that's shaking Montreal's underworld. A man known as the Godfather is Hello, welcome to another episode of Otis Morris Hates Himself. Um, got a good episode coming for you, I think. I don't know, haven't recorded it yet. It's 1.20 a.m. Monday, August 31st. So this episode is late. I haven't recorded it yet. I just finished doing the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, research and writing it so you know i'm a little i'm a little behind a little slow a little hungover a little hungover um whose fault is that that's mine it's my fault uh but that's okay that's okay you know i haven't i haven't been out i haven't been drunk in a while and you know what i deserve to be hungover and that's fine that's fine um i can live with that that's okay you know, that's just, just more practice. Just got to practice being a proper alcoholic for the next little while. You know, got to get my, got to get my game back up. Got to learn how to drink again. And that's okay. I can do that. I'll survive. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, no pressure. No pressure at all. Uh, I've had a strange week. I've had a strange week, you know. Um, I'm sure I mentioned it. I got a kitten. And... I named the kitten Hannibal. It was a nice little boy, nice little black cat. And Hannibal just had his first uh, first vet checkup. And you know, it's pretty standard shit. Um, you know, he was just going in to get a uh, get a nice little uh, rabies vaccination. You know, don't want him foaming out the fucking mouth, killing everybody in the apartment. Maybe some people in the apartment building. There's a couple people in this building I wouldn't mind, you know, a rabid kitten with rabies murdering, but, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, it can be, it can, you know, it's the gender swap version of Cujo. That's what it is, you know, because as it turns out, all cats are females, you know. Um, we thought, my girlfriend and I thought we adopted a nice boy. Um, turns out it's a girl. It's a girl. Um, no dick on that. No dick on our cat. Um, so that's strange. Uh, it turns out that the cat that we supposedly adopted was named Oscar, and it was a male cat. And we have no idea where that cat is. We have no idea who this cat is. You know. Well, now it's Hannah Bell. You know, that's a nice name, Hannah Bell. You know, just gender swap Hannibal. That's it. That's it. You know. 2020 we can do these things i have a trans cat you know sure the cat's only 12 weeks old and doesn't you know really know what's going on and probably can't make that decision for itself you know decide if it's trans or not but you know apparently i have a trans cat and 
you know, that, that's interesting. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's new. That's new, you know. I don't think that's a thing anyone else has had. I don't know. If you know of anyone else that has a trans cat, um, let me know. Let me know, okay? Um, whew. I don't know. That was weird, so. Taking the cat this week get all its cat things that the cat needs such as removing its vagina or whatever whatever spaying a cat is I don't know what like spaying a cat is I know neutering a cat is cutting its balls off but what do you do when you spay a cat or a dog you just close their vagina up you remove their ovaries and their uterus and stuff and you just get rid of it is that what you do you just throw the vagina away basically that's weird. That's weird. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyways, <clears throat> here's a good episode. So we're getting to part. Where are we? We're part two of Operation Wrath of God, and uh, this episode. <clears throat> this episode's all about training. Um, that's this is what it's all about. This is all about how you become a special op agent in the Mossad and it's uh you just gotta follow these couple steps and by the end of this episode you'll be like oh my god I know how to be a trained Mossad agent this is crazy I can I can just start killing terrorists now it's fantastic let's do this okay so that's what the episode's about so you know strap your dick in or strap your vagina in or whatever you do have maybe you don't have anything maybe a doctor removed it when you were an infant and now you have nothing um <clears throat> i don't know i don't know so i guess we'll just start the educational part now okay introduction In the previous episode, I discussed in detail the events of the uh, 1972 Munich, Max- Munich, blah, Munich Massacre uh, at, the, uh, at the Munich Olympics that resulted in the death of 11 Israeli Olympic team members um, at the hands of Black September. You know, uh, The Munich Massacre was only one of the ma- many attacks by pan- Palestinian terrorist organizations like Black September. There's a lot of them, you know? Black September, they just did some shit in September, and it was a really bad September, as you heard last episode. It was really just a really bad day. It was a bad... Was it even 24? I don't even think it was 24 hours. They just... But it's it was, it was terrible. It was awful. Uh, you know, at the time, Israel seemingly had no response to the attacks. However, you know... This, this that we're going to tell you now, this is the story of how a team of five men uh, was assembled to take out anyone involved with the Munich massacre and other events that resulted in the death of Israelis. You know, they're just, they're just ready. They're just out here. They're just fucking you up. They're just going to kill you. That's, that's how it's going. That's how this shit's playing out. Okay. That's what's happening. Okay. However, before getting into the details of the acts of revenge carried out by the Mossad, 
the massage, the training process, and you know, what are we talking? What I can't read this right now. Why can't I read right now? Okay. Oh God. Ah. Okay. Let's let's restart that sentence. Okay. Let's do this again. Let's do this again. Okay. However, before getting into the details of the actual revenge carried out by the Mossad, the training process, and the secretive inclusivity of the Mossad, we have to go through the following details, which are all described from the same source. An ex-Mossad agent who was the leader of the five-man team that carried out what is now known as Operation Wrath of God. That's a very poorly written couple of sentences. Basically, what I'm trying to say is we're going to meet a guy. We're going to meet the guy that fucking was leading this team. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to tell you his life story and how he became the leader of a fucking five-man hit squad that was just fucking shit up for you in Europe for years or however long it was. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay, so... Fucking, this is Operation Wrath of God, I guess. This is the origins, okay? We got, like, the prequel, prequel. This is, like, the first scene of the first movie in the timeline before it goes to the prequel timeline, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Well, fucking, you're learning about the guy, okay? Here it is. Kuval Aviv, a.k.a. Avner. In George Jonas's book, Vengeance, the Mossad agent spoken to is given the alias Avner. Vengeance, first published in 1984, was open to... It was, received a lot of criticism. Um, most of it was directed at the credibility of the source named Avner. Uh, nobody knew who the fuck he was. You know, For years, Avner's identity was a secret, you know? But uh, through research by many people over the last decades, including Steven Spielberg's crazy team of people that include uh, U.S. Uh, politicians, and he also has people. Turns out Steven Spielberg's got some fucking connections, okay? Because when he made the movie Munich, which is about all of this shit that we're going to f- do in the next couple episodes, uh, he, he found some shit out, even though that movie's like, it's fictionalized stuff. This is probably the closest accounts you're going to get to, uh, to what actually fucking happened, okay? So, fuck what everyone says. This is the source that I'm going with because I decided this is the source I'm going to go with. So, fuck you guys. Um, you know, so, but anyways, through research by many over the last decades, the consensus is that Avner is an alias for former Mossad agent Huval Aviv, I guess, Juval, Huval. I've seen it spelled Y-U-V-A-L, but mostly J-U-V-A-L, so I'm going to say Huval Aviv, so we'll go Huval. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Who gives a shit? This guy, what's he going to do, come and kill me? Probably. Oh, well, do it. End me. This is a threat. Huval Aviv, come out wherever you are. Come fuck me up, I guess, fam. Do what you do best, okay? This is your story, and I'm going to fuck it up, okay? You know, so people have determined that his this book is factual, okay? And this is how the shit starts, okay? 
Val Aviv was born in 1947. Esabra which means he was a native-born Israeli Jew. He was a Jew born in Israel. So, super Jew. He's a big-time Jew. Big Jew. Big, big, big Jew. Um, yeah, what can I say? He's literally a Jew. As a child, <laughs> we've all grew up fascinated with American culture. Especially the very shitty films of John Wayne. I don't know why people like John Wayne. People always gravitate towards John Wayne, especially at this time. Like in the 40s and 50s, people gravitate towards John Wayne. They're like, this guy's so cool. It's like, no, this guy's fat. He's ugly. Like, he looks like a lump of shit, okay? Have you ever, like, looked at John Wayne and been like, you know, that's a good-looking dude, you know? That's a guy that stands for some... Good shit. That's a dude that I want to fucking talk to and hang out with. It's like, no, he seems like a bag of shit. He's never seemed ever interesting. Okay? And then, turns out, he's not. He's just a piece of shit. So, whatever. I guess if you're going to grow up to be a person that murders people for a living, John Wayne's someone to idolize. Or John Wayne Gacy. Both good people to idolize if you like murdering people. So... John Wayne, John Wayne Gacy, you know, Hugh Val, John Wayne Gacy, whatever, you know what, who gives a shit, so, this guy, as a child, Hugh Val, he, he moves to Germany with his father and his mother, and his father happened to move around a lot for his uh, mysterious job, you know, Hugh Val's mother insisted that his father was in the import-export business, which is the official business of... <clears throat> this guy is doing highly sketchy shit, okay? If anyone's ever like, I'm an import-export business, it's like you're selling something or you're murdering people. You're selling illegal drugs or guns or humans or you're murdering people or you're doing both, you know? You're doing one or the other. You're doing something that's not fucking good, Okay? This guy, like, the Sopranos, the waste management thing. Like, you know, remember the part where Meadow is explaining to AJ? She's like, really? You really think that, like, our dad works for the waste management company? Like, does Tony ever actually know anything about garbage? Does he? No, he doesn't because he doesn't work there. It's all a front. Import-export business is broad. Who even knows what that means? If anyone asks me, what does import-export mean? It's like, you're importing, you're exporting. It's like, but what? And it's like, fucking things. Don't ask questions. And you're just like, okay. I'll back up here. Um, so, Huval's family went to Frankfurt, Germany to help out Huval's grandfather. And they ended up staying for much longer than expected, uh, most likely because Hufal's father had some work to do there. Somebody had to get the fucking iced, okay? Or something else. Maybe he had to sell something or something. He had to do something. He was doing something sketchy, okay? While living in Frankfurt, Hufal befriended another boy in the same apartment building named Andreas. And, you know, they were just friends and, you know, we'll learn more about Andreas later, okay? Um, Val was eventually sent away to a kibbutz, which I think is a farm. 
of some kind for Jewish teens. Um, not going to lie. I didn't really care to learn much about this. I didn't really care to look into what a kibbutz was, but apparently he was there for a while, and as a sabra, he was not popular amongst the uh, German-born Jews, okay? Uh, they did not like him. Not not a fan, okay? This is also pretty close, to p- pretty post-World uh, War II, post-Holocaust, you know, German Jews, not probably happy people, probably... You know, most of their family is dead, so they're not not happy people, I imagine. I don't know. Maybe they're bundles of joy. Who knows what the fuck's going on, okay? Who knows? Uh, so Yuval uh, eventually uh, joined the Israeli military, and uh, this is when I guess he's like 17, 18, and uh, during that time... He's able to learn to swim and become a commando. That's basically all he learned how to do. That's all. He learned how to swim, become a commando. No, he he learned how to do some pretty good shit, pretty sure. He, he learned how to become a pilot, pretty much. Um, and a commando is actually a pretty high, pre- prestigious thing. It's the second most elite insignia in the Israeli forces. And um, But after four years of service, Huval uh, retired... And he just tried to get a job as a pilot at the uh, El Al airport in Tel Aviv. Just He just wanted to fucking fly planes, you know? He just wanted to be an honest man flying planes, you know? He, he didn't want to be a fucking loser like Lou Pearlman, you know? Lou Pearlman, fucking big-ass loser, fucking all horny for blimps and shit, okay? Or his weird friend. What was what was Lou Pearlman's creepy weird friend's name? Whatever. Alan? Was it Alan? Yeah. Weird ass Alan and his weird models and shit. He just knows everything about planes and he just has no one in his life that loves him. He just loves planes. Well, you know what? You know, he... he, he if Al didn't want to be that guy, you know, he actually was making progress. He really wanted to be a legitimate fucking pilot. So... That's what he wanted to do, but uh, he never got he never got a job as a pilot. You know, he's he's waiting, he's waiting, and uh, he uh, he was unsure he was unsure of his future. You know, until one day, basically, he receives a mysterious telegram, and Huval uh, knew exactly where to take it to his father. You know, the mysterious man, mysterious pet telegram, mysterious father goes hand in hand. So this is what that was about. Recruitment. At this time in 1969, Uval's father was a former spy for Israel and was jailed for two and a half years for acts committed while being a spy for Israel. Uh, He's now an old, broken person after working for Israel and the Mossad. Um, knowing that the telegram that Huval has is a recruitment telegram from the Mossad, Huval's father warns him that they will ruin his life. They'll constantly offer more and more money to keep having you do missions, but you never receive the payout. You know, they're just constantly like, hey, you keep working, you're going to make more money, man. You're going to make the big bucks. You want to make the big bucks. You want to make the big bucks. 
Yeah, you gotta go kill some people, spy on some people, then you're gonna make the money. Yeah. And then when you're like, okay, I did all this shit, where's the money? They're like, ah, you gotta go spy on this guy. And it's just a never-ending game of you just constantly doing shit never really seeing the reward that you were guaranteed. But, you know what? This doesn't deter Yuval as he responds to the telegram by going to the specific building on Borosov Street in Tel Aviv. Once arriving at a uh, seemingly empty building, Yuval is required to answer a questionnaire in a room while a man sits in a chair and basically just lists off every single person that's important to Huval and his life, okay? This includes Huval's family, friends, co-workers, basically anybody he knows. This guy was just telling him, he's like, I know who you are, okay? I'm keeping tabs on all your shit. I know everything about you. You know everything you're going to do, and there's nothing you can do about it, okay? So go fuck yourself, and if you do anything... We're going to know about it, and we're going to write it down, okay? If you're going to suck your own dick, we're going to know that you're trying to suck your own dick in the shower, okay? That's a weird thing to do, but guess what? If you could, if you angle yourself in a bathtub the right way, you might be able to suck your dick in the shower. But we're the Mossad, and we know if you're going to try and suck your dick in the shower. So unless you want us to know you're trying to suck your dick in the shower, that's your call, okay? That's, that's up to you. That's up to you, okay? So they know everything about him. They know everything this guy's done, okay? They know every... Every shit he's wife, they know everything. They know if, how well he eats his wife's pussy. If he eats his wife's pussy, who knows what he does, you know? Who knows? Or his girlfriend, I don't know where they are at this time. Oh, here we go. You know, <clears throat> they're, they're only dating at this time. Uh, Huval does all the necessary, ah, necessary screaming. Ah, I can't fucking speak tonight, man. My throat's all fucked up. <clears throat> Huval does all the necessary screening stuff that day, but he doesn't receive anything for months. Keeps telling his girlfriend, Shoshana, that he's waiting for a call from a government job. You know, I'm working for the government. (laughs) You know, or he keeps saying that he's trying to get a job at that airport that he's been trying to get a job for for like so fucking long. You know, he's been like, hey man, the, the airport... I'm going to get the job at the airport. I know I'm going to get the job at the airport, okay? We know we can do this. We're going to get the airport job, babe. Baby, when I start getting this airport money, baby, you don't even know. I got the airport money, babe. What are you... Babe, do you know anything about that airport money? Nah. When I'm flying planes up into the sky and then driving them down onto the land and stuff. And, you know, I'm just flying people. You make money. Commercial pilots don't make a lot of money. I'm pretty sure they do not make a lot of money at all. Um, so, uh, airport money is not good money. Don't, don't try to get airport money. No. <clears throat> Anyways. Months later, he receives a second telegram telling him to meet at another mysterious location. He goes and meets the same man from the first meeting and is offered the job. He is given a date and address that he has to memorize. So he, <clears throat> it's basically the guy writes down a date and address on a piece of paper, shows it to him, he's like, memorize that. And then as soon as he's like, okay, I got it memorized, 
the guy shoves it up his ass. <clears throat> shoves it up his ass. Then he lights himself on fire and incinerates himself. And so that's that's what happens. That's what happens. So the guy now, he has to remember the date and time of and where to memorize this guy because, you know, the only piece of paper that had that information is now in a guy's ass that's being burnt alive. So it's burnt in his ass. Um, <clears throat> that's how it goes, you know. That's how, that's how it happened. Okay, I'm not making this up. This is factual. That's how it happened. Okay, uh, so he is told. So Huval, he's told this is a test, and that his training has begun. He is now officially employed by a public utility company <laughs> called Tel Aviv Waterworks. Fuck yeah, man! Hell yeah, man! I work for Tel Aviv Waterworks. I'm just fucking. I just. I don't know, it's probably plumbing. So he's probably a plumber, I guess. He's like, yeah, I'm just I'm just cleaning people's shit, man. I'm the shit cleaner. Hell yeah, this guy's cleaning shit. This guy's cleaning shit. We're all cleaning shit. And shit is obviously a metaphor for cleaning up dead bodies. Obviously. Okay. <laughs> obviously. So he goes uh, to the address like weeks before and scouts it out and like looks, checks out the area. And basically, he finds, he waits and finds these cars, and he identifies the cars as government vehicles. He's like, those are government vehicles, okay? He's just, he's just got that, sh- he's just got, he's got the spidey sense. We learn about the spidey sense. He's got a spidey sense. This guy's got a weird spidey dick sense. He's got the ass sense. He's got the ass sense, okay? He's got the sense for this Mossad ass. I don't know. <clears throat> What's that Mossad ass? That's a Mossad ass. That, that's that's pretty. That's a good way to describe an ass. That's a massad ass. That's like a special op ass. That's like a highly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so after hours of waiting in this area, he finds fault. He follows a suspicious looking vehicle that he identifies as a government vehicle. And uh, he drives into a secret area. You know, he doesn't go into the secret area. But then two weeks later, on the date that was on the note that the guy shoved up his ass and burned, on that note, on the ass note, okay, on the ass note, he shows up on that date. And on that date, he would report to that area and begin his training for the Mossad. Training for the Mossad. Huval shows up for his official Mossad training. Like Huval, most of the recruits are in their early 20s. During his training, Huval meets an American named Dave, a.k.a. Popeye. And Popeye is a fucking freak, okay? Popeye is a fucking... This guy is fucking wild. Okay, Popeye, he's a former Marine, and he's in Israel teaching soldiers his marine his crazy marine shit okay and even though dave speaks english he 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 insists on speaking hebrew even though he's not good at it okay dave's a fucking dick dave's just an asshole he's just like i'm fucking speaking he just shows up he's like hey i'm fucking speaking hebrew i don't know i'm fucking speaking hebrew but i'm gonna fucking speak some hebrew to you want me to speak some fucking hebrew to you you want me to speak some fucking hebrew i'll come come over there speak some hebrew to you i don't know i'm fucking dave 
I'm Dave. I'm from, I don't know, I'm from some place. I'm from Jersey. You know, I'm from Jersey. Yeah, fuck it. I'm from Jersey, you know, whatever. I'm from fucking... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Why are you asking? Why are you asking? I'm from. The, I'm in the import export business. So fuck you. You know, we're in the import export business. That's what it is. You know, I'm a fucking freak. My name's Popeye. I'm gonna speak some Hebrew to you. I'm gonna be like, I don't know if that's what Hebrew sounds like. I have no idea what Hebrew sounds like. I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know Jewish people. I don't know what Hebrew sounds like. The most I know about Hebrew is probably. If Seth Rogen's ever spoken in one of his movies. So, so this guy's speaking Hebrew, even though he's terrible at it, okay? He's terrible at it. And all the fucking dudes in the training can also speak English. So, but so this guy's just being a dick. Dave's a dick. That's it. Dave is a dick. What else can you say, okay? Uh, so, Dave basically completely retaught all these men how to shoot a gun. Uh, he, for some reason, he insists that they jump rope for hours a day because that's what would give them the endurance and reflexes required. He's basically like, if you, you, you picking, you picking up weights, it's just, you adding too much weight, you know, it's not good, you know, it's, just, it's pointless. What the fuck are you doing with all this weight? You know, you just, you, you just jump rope, you just jump rope and then you can shoot a gun. Okay, that's how it works. You, you jump rope for four hours a day, and then you shoot a gun. That's how it fucking works, okay? Um, <clears throat> so the people in training would have to learn how to identify every single gun and know every single minuscule detail of every gun. Yeah, they had to know everything about every fucking gun, basically. Like this would give this would give them an advantage in like important times. Like if they were in a shootout and could identify a gun, say for example, a revolver. Okay? That's this is just the example they give in the book. Say and a revolver's bullet <clears throat> at this time is most 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 likely to hook to the right. So Using that information, knowing that that small detail that probably most people shooting a revolver wouldn't know at this time, that helps them. They can be like, okay, if I move to this direction, that may potentially help me in not being shot by that gun. And that's how that works. That's how that works. Okay. That's pretty, pretty easy, I guess. Um, so they have to learn about every single gun. And then they would learn about their own gun, okay? The twenty-two Beretta, okay? This gun is the official weapon of the Mossad, and it's at Dave's insistence. Dave is like, we got to use the fucking twenty-two. We're using the fucking twenty-two, okay? You got any questions, we're using the twenty-two. Dave's dick says twenty-two. I got a twenty-two-inch dick, so that's why I like to use the twenty-two Beretta. It reminds me of my dick, okay? This is Dave's dick. Okay, it's the Dave's Dick Store, okay? And at Dave's Dick Store, we sell 22-inch dicks, okay? So that's what we're doing. We're doing the Berettas, okay? We're doing the Berettas, okay? <laughs> I got a 22-inch dick, and my name's Dave. <laughs> Call me Popeye. Uh, Dave was like, any bigger guns unnecessary. You know, you're using these big guns. Why the fuck are you using the big guns for? You know, you don't need big guns. You know, I, I got my big dick. All I need is a 22 Beretta. That's it. That's all me and my dick need. 
me and Dave's dick out of the Beretta. That's it. That's all I need. Okay. So Dave's like a 22 is perfect for killing a man. Okay. Uh, they're also a very quiet gun and they don't require a silencer or a suppressor. Um, and this is a difficult adjustment for most recruits as they were army soldiers and they're trained to be sharpshooters, typically from long distances, okay? They're not really meant to go fucking, you know, go in there with just handguns and shoot shit up like a fucking John Woo movie, okay? That's, they're not doing gun, gun fu, okay? They're not John Wick, they're not John Woo, okay? They ain't, they ain't the John W, man. They're Dave, they got Dave's dick, and that's all they got. They got Dave's dick. Um, but Dave doesn't care. Dave doesn't care about the soldier's preferences. Dave literally says, In your job, this is your gun. For good. That's it. Dave insists that these soldiers are to only ever touch their gun. If they intend on shooting and killing somebody. If you draw that gun, it's because you're shooting somebody and you're killing them, okay? These guys, they're not meant to threaten people with their gun. It is meant to kill, okay? Never mind shoot to kill for the Mossad. It's draw to kill. You touch your gun, you're killing somebody, okay? That That's what Dave says. So you touch your gun, you fucking kill somebody. That's how we fucking do it, Okay? Listen to Dave's dick. Listen to Dave's dick. If you don't listen to Dave's dick, you're gonna fucking die. Okay? Listen to fucking listen to my giant dick. It's 22 inches, okay? Uh Dave also had other things he insisted soldiers do, um, such as every time a soldier pulls a trigger, they pull it twice. The reason being is that it's easier to shoot twice every time than it is to shoot once and then try to re-aim your gun in the same spot again. So before any sort of recoil or whatever alters your positioning or you moving, trying to take cover, just two shots, just poof, poof, two pops. So that that's 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 the shit. Okay, so that's what that's their gun training. That's how they learned. They're learning 22 Berettas. Okay? Um, so, the Mossad agents in training went through multiple courses that included photography, uh, communications, um, explosives, um, because unlike military explosives, which are essentially pre-made, like, to a certain extent, like, they're, like, molds that they just have to basically set up and then light and then boom, boom, boom. Now they basically have to learn how to make bombs and blow shit up, okay? Um, they also... And they're highly unstable bombs, and they have very limited tools to make these bombs. Um, they also had documents courses, which was basically creating and identifying false documents... Uh, these guys had to be able to basically identify a fake passport within 30 seconds. Um, like, they would have to know what, like, tip, like, the tips of, like, the corners and, like, anything, like, um, any parts. And then they would always look at the person's face when they, ha like, pa hand them the passport. They never look at the passport. They look at their face first. And you can, like, see their fear in their eyes and shit like that. Like, 
These people are evil. These people are real fucking evil people. And they're trained killers. So what the fuck do you expect? Um, another course was scanning, which is basically the ability to watch your surroundings without alerting people that, like, that you know you're being followed. So, like, basically walking down the street, you think somebody's following you. Never, never directly look behind you. Look in glass, check, like, uh, car windows, car mirrors, storefront windows, stuff like that, and check reflections and things like that, okay? You, they need to be smart. Never... Never need to let others know that you know that you're being followed. No, you know, if they know that you know that you know that they know, then shit, somebody's going to get fucking shot, okay? And then they also had planning courses, which is obviously planning missions and using all that they learned to then coordinate an operation to succeed in their mission. Um, during this training, uh, people would come and go without notice, Nobody knows where they went. No one knows what happens. You know, trainees didn't know they were reassigned. They didn't know they were dropped from the program. They were unfit. Maybe they were fucking shot in the fucking head. Maybe Dave took them. And it's like, hey, he sucked his giant dick. And they're like, no. And then Dave shot them with a twenty-two Beretta in his dick. His dick shot them with a twenty-two Beretta. Dave's dick is dangerous, okay? Dave's dick. Goddamn. Uh, you know, information regarding other ag- agents was not disclosed. Um, basically, everyone was left in the dark regarding anything that wasn't their training. Um, and the most important thing to the Jews were receipts. I joke, but no, actually. They, they tr- told them, keep a receipt for everything you purchase while working on a job. Everything must be accounted for, Okay. Everything, everything. You buy fucking anything. You buy a condom for Dave's big dick. You buy a nice big fucking ultra large magnum condom. Get a receipt for it. You know, even if it's supposed to be a surprise, he's going to see that receipt and he needs to know. Okay? He needs to know. Okay? Also, if you're in the Mossad, don't expect any accolades for any of your work. Um, the Mossad, they hate heroes, um, they respect their ability. But uh, they hate their need for recognition. Um, agents can't be proud of their work. You know, they they can't really be moved by anything. You know, even if an agent saved a million people, you know, he basically can't express anything. He basically just has to accept they saved a million people, and no one's ever going to know who the fuck he is. And that is what it means to be a secret agent for the Mossad. It means to be an absolute fucking nobody despite actually being like a total badass or a terrible person depending you know some people might think the Mossad's a terrible group some people might think it's really cool I guess we could argue that both ways but whatever I think they're kind of cool very dangerous I'm I just don't want them to murder me that's that's where I'm at all right let's let's learn let's let's learn about the Mossad Look, I've been telling you for weeks what you got to do, okay? The race war is going to start soon. You don't know who's going to win it. No one knows, okay? No one knows who's going to win the 2020 election. No one knows who's going to win the race war, okay? No one knows who's going to win Best New Hip Hop Artists at the BET Awards this year. No one knows, okay? These are things we can't predict. 
okay? But I do know that you have to become a musician in order to survive in these times, okay? If you do not have 17 colors in your hair and a face tattoo that admits to multiple crimes that actually predate your birth, but you are admitting that you somehow committed these crimes. With those attributes, you can be a rapper. You can be a rap. You could be anything you want. But if you want to be a significant person in the apocalypse, you need to become a rapper. And you know who's going to make you a rapper? My buddy Joe Daniel, a.k.a. Palm Reader. Good buddy of mine. I run a podcast with him. Well, Joe Daniel also runs a music studio called Cemetery Sound. And Cemetery Sound, he'll make you sound like whatever you want, okay? You want to be a hip-hop star, you'll be a hip-hop star. You want to be a pop singer, you'll be a pop singer. You want to be a mariachi band, you can be a mariachi band. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. He'll make it happen for you. He'll record your shit. He'll mix your shit, master it. He'll make, he'll make you album art. Hell, he'll make you posters. He'll make you whatever you need, okay? And, you know, it's really hassle-free. You know, he's not going to fuck you around, you know? It's just really simple, and he has a good product, okay? And you can check it out. You can go to Cemetery Sound on SoundCloud. You can listen to projects that he's put out, like his own projects, Under Palm Reader, Anxiety Weekend, other projects by other friends, like Sideshow Trice, Emerson, these are killers. These are people that got bars, you know? So if you want to make music and you want to survive the war, you have to be a rapper. And you, 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 need, you need beats, and he's got the beats. And so you got to go to Cemetery Sound. You got to arrange to get the beats, okay? So that's C-E-M-E-T-E-R-Y. S-O-U-N-D. That's Cemetery Sound, okay? Check out the website, cemeterysound.com. Check out the SoundCloud. And, you know, if you want to survive the apocalypse and become a rapper, that's how you do it. Cemeterysound.com. Check it out. The Mossad and their enemies. Huval completed his training and was officially an agent of the Mossad, Duval's first mission was to act as an air marshal on planes from El Al Airport. The airport he had previously been trying to get a fucking job at. So, hey, he completed his fucking airplane job dream. I guess he's, I guess he's, getting, he's getting airport money and Mossad money at the same time. Killing it. Dude's killing it. Mossad money and airport money. Way to go. Way to go. Um... While working here, he would make notes of such things as exits, cameras, security, shift changes, etc. He would basically just know everything about everything operating in the airport. He would know timings of everything, basically. He just knew everything, okay? Duval worked this job for a while before being stationed in Frankfurt, Germany, a place where he lived as a child, you know? And he had an advantage of being able to speak English and Germany fluently, so he was able to blend in better than other Israeli agents stationed in Europe. You know, because others, some of them can't fucking speak any fucking European languages, so they're just there, and they're sticking out like a sore thumb, because they're just angry Israeli dudes just sitting there, just pissed off all the time, 
and not smiling or anything. And they can't speak any fucking language. And people are like, why is this guy here? And it's like, well, obviously he's a fucking agent. Why else would an angry Israeli guy be here? And it's like, of course, of course. Val also had old connections in Europe, uh, such as his old friend Andreas. Remember, remember I mentioned that friend that he met in his apartment? Well, you know, while in Frankfurt, Val reconnected with Andreas by going out for a coffee and then a beer. And then they fucked each other and reminisce about old times. I don't know if they fucked each other. It sounds like they did. Maybe they did, you know. Who knows? A guy like an Andreas? That's a, that's a sexy name. A guy named Andreas? I might fuck a guy named Andreas. Hell yeah. Um, but before Andreas showed up at the cafe, we've all noticed how cautious Andreas was. We've all then saw it in Andreas' face. Andreas was a member of a small German terrorist group. Huval had seen his photo before, but he didn't report Andreas because he preferred to have Andreas in his back pocket. You know, so like if anything bad ever went forward, he could be like, well, hey, I have this information. So he has like, and then you would be like, yo, I know where this guy is. We can bring this guy down. So if he ever needs, like, a quick, easy job that he knows 100% that he can complete, he kn- he's got one, okay? And it can make him look good, and people will be like, oh, my God, this guy's so smart. But then it turns out it's just like, nah, some dickhead I knew from when I, when I was a kid just happened to fucking grow to be a piece of shit. And then I just happened to realize he was a piece of shit. So now he's a terrorist. Um, uh, so as an agent... Uval would fly all over Europe. He'd go from, like, London to Athens, Zurich to Frankfurt, and then back to Israel. He would constantly be given new identities along the way. Like, these guys are switching their names, switching, like, they've got... These guys, like, don't even know who the fuck they are anymore, basically. Okay? By autumn of 1972... Palestinian terrorist groups had committed a number of terrorist acts against Israelis and other Jews that include an attack on February 21st, 1970, where 47 people died when a jet was bombed in Zurich, Switzerland. On the same day, an Austrian plane was also attacked. Other attacks include another attack in Munich, where grenades were thrown into a bus killing multiple people and then multiple hijackings between September 6th and 9th where five airplanes were hijacked. One was prevented by an air marshal, one plane was was flown to Egypt and destroyed, and the other three were landed and the hostages were exchanged for the the release of other Palestinian terrorists. Kind of like exactly what they wanted, exactly what they did in the Munich massacre. And this is before this, so they kind of have... They have their method of how they're going to get these terrorists out of prison, and it's by taking hostages, flying a plane, landing it, and then filling that plane up with criminals. That's how they do their business. Um, So while they were successful um, at this, King Hussein of Jordan counterattacked all the terrorist groups in Jordan and effectively ran them out of the, the country. And then this led, that's one of the factors that led to the formation of the Black September terrorist group from the Munich Massacre. Okay? And then, so, there's a whole bunch of terrorist groups, okay? Like, there's the uh, 
Arafat al-Fatah group, which is the like largest section of the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. And they're ba- and the Arafat al-Fatah is basically the main source of terrorist attacks carried out by Palestinian terrorists. Although they deny their association with groups such as Black September, but everyone's like, no, I know you're a fucking terrorist group. You're a fucking idiot. Uh, you're formed by many PLO extremists who are run out of Jordan. And then basically, they're, and then it's like, they're like, no, we're not extremists. And they're like, yeah, you were. You got ran out of Jordan. And they're like, no, we didn't. What are you talking about? No, we didn't. And it's like, yeah, he did. You totally got ran out of Jordan, didn't you? They're like, no, we were never in Jordan. And it's like, yeah, you were. And then they're like, nah. And then in 19, 1971, they went and assassinated the prime minister of Jordan on the steps of the Sheridan Hotel in Cairo, Egypt. Just fucking did it. Just popped him. Just fucking, hey, you on vacation? Peace, bitch. Just fucking, man. Imagine just getting popped in the desert. That sucks, dude. That sucks ass. Um, in May 1972, the first official Black September terrorist attack occurred. Their first mission was to hijack a plane en route to Tel Aviv and then demand the release of 300-plus Palestinian prisoners. The same fucking thing they've been doing. They just constantly keep... They just hijack planes and then demand to fill it up with prisoners. They're a bunch, they, they're, they got, they're terrible at this. They're terrible, okay? They're bad terrorists. They're not good at terrorism. God, somebody should sit them down and fucking tell them how to be terrorists because when they did this, they were caught by Israeli paratroopers and they were fucking imprisoned. They fucking, you know, and then there was, what, 302 Palestinian prisoners. Fucking idiots. Goddamn dummies. Um, they failed their first mission. They fucking failed it. They failed it. Um, so Black September, they were failures at first, but there was other terrorist groups formed, um, including the Popular Front, which carried out attacks on behalf of Dr. Wadi Haddad, you know? On uh, May 31st, 1972, Dr. Haddad sent kamikaze killers to Lod, 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 L-O-D, whatever that word is, in Tel Aviv to murder Israelis. Um, They killed 26 people and injured 72. Okay? Ironically... Most victims were not Israelis. They were Puerto Ricans. Um, Some would argue that's a good thing. Some would say other things. I'm, I'm, I'm whatever. You know, I don't really care about the Puerto Rican community. Not gonna lie. I don't know any Puerto Rican people. And most of them are terrible, and they will stab you. I'm joking. I'm joking. Ponce, let's fucking go to the parade. Let's do this. I'm joking. Everything I do is Puerto Rico. Okay, shout-outs to all my Puerto Ricans. I don't know any Puerto Ricans. I don't I don't know a single Puerto Rican person. Um, anyways, so terrorism, terrorists, and these groups and shit, they're fucking killing Israelis. And because of this... Duval's main job has now become a counterterrorism. He like he basically starts working for a counterterrorism unit job because his job is literally to identify terrorists in airports. And this is how he did it. 
how to identify a terrorist. Out of all the courses the soldiers took in their training, scanning was the one that Huval excelled at the most. Huval had what, you know, you could basically say was his sixth sense, you know, his spidey sense or some dumb shit. He had a fucking sense and he knew how, he knew when shit weird was happening. Okay. He just knew, he just knew weird shit like that. Okay. He, okay. You got to be a fucking psychopath to be a fucking Mossad agent. And this guy was a fucking psychopath and he knew weird shit and could sense weird shit. And his, he had this Dave Dick tingling sense. And <laughs> I don't know, man, that, that's it, you know? And while working in the airport, Huval quickly learned how to identify a potential terrorist. And there were key things to look for that would give it away. And these are the things that, you know, just, you gotta remember this is 1970, and he's specifically looking for basically is is terrorists against Israelis, okay? So this is, this is in, uh, this is not, people will be like, this sounds fucking racist and prejudice against Arab people. And it's like, yeah, that's who's killing the Jews. So they're looking for Arabs. What can I say? That's the, that's that's how it works, okay? I, I, I didn't make this up. Okay, this is how it goes, okay? So how do I identify a terrorist? You know, typically a terrorist, uh, you know, planning an attack against any Israeli state is typically a young man. Um, they're most likely a student, and their giveaway is that they're usually purchasing a one-way ticket from a huge European city directly to Israel. Um, you know, because why not? You know, if you're going to go and bomb yourself and blow yourself up in Israel, wh- why buy why buy a round trip? You know, you just need the one way. You don't need the second ticket. But if you didn't want to make it obvious, just buy the second ticket, you know? Why are you being fugal with your finances, okay? You're going to fucking blow yourself up anyway. Just spend the extra money, and then maybe you won't get caught, and then you might actually be able to be a successful terrorist. But, you know, a lot of these guys kind of suck at terrorism, you know? Even as you learn, like the Munich Massacre guys, they kind of fucking sucked at terrorism, okay? They weren't very good at it. They almost got their ass kicked by a bunch of Israeli jacked wrestlers, okay? Um... They're fucking idiots, and they sh- should have gotten their dicks kicked in, but they didn't. Um, how do I identify terrorists? Um, they typically don't have a place where they're currently living. They're usually not living anywhere, and they're usually staying at a hotel. And it's usually an expensive hotel because terrorists are, turns out, they're fucking like divas, man. They live, they want to live lavish lifestyles, okay? Like, there's like fucking terrorist cribs, like, Terrorist cribs, man. Look at my shit, man. So come here. Look at me. Look at my shit. So I'm in. I'm in the top of the fucking MGM Grand, man. You know, I see this shit. You know, remember the fucking hangover? They're in the giant fucking thing. Well, this is where the tiger is, man. This is where I did. Oh, I was doing lines on the floor with the tiger and the hangover was. It was fucking crazy, man. That shit was crazy, dude. I was doing shit. I was doing cocaine. I had hookers sucking my dick. It was crazy, man. And then the next day I left and went to Israel and blew myself up for the sake of Jesus or something. I don't know what they believe in. Uh, I guess if they're... 
Arab than Muslim, Islam, so whatever. I don't know, man. I don't know anything about religion. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Okay, religion's not that interesting. Well, I guess there's is some interesting shit, but I don't know nothing. But anyways, terrorists, terrorists are prima donna bitches. Okay, and they wanted, they want five star fucking shit. Okay, they're five star terrorists. <laughs> they're one star terrorists with five star. <laughs> One star terrorist, five star taste. <laughs> oh, that's the name of the episode. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, they're fucking divas. They're five star divas, okay? Um, they t- Another thing is uh, they don't know any they don't have any friends or family in the area they're going to so like a person at the airport be like you're going there for friends or family like oh i don't fucking anything like going there for business no i'm just going it's like what who the fuck just goes to israel for no reason huh especially a brown arab dude who does that that's dumb why would you do that okay a terrorist usually travels with light luggage you know what why not take the luggage with you Okay, just take a lot of luggage with you and then just forget it. Just forget it. Don't don't okay, never claim your don't claim your luggage. Just leave it, okay? Whatever. Let let it go to the lost and found. Okay? Then somebody else can get your fucking terrorist clothes, okay? You gotta be proactive, okay? Donate it. Donate your clothes. Bring your clothes to Israel and just hand it out. Just leave it in the streets. Just be like, hey, here's some fucking clothes for somebody. I'm gonna go blow myself up, so I don't really need clothes anymore. All I need is enough clothes to conceal the bombs on my chest. And then once these things fucking blow, I don't really need clothes anymore because I'm just going to be like a puddle of bone and blood on the ground. So do you want my shirt? Do you want my Ralph Lauren polo shirt? It's a nice shirt. It's very expensive. Would you like it? You can have it. There you go. (laughs) Uh, um, so yeah, so they travel with like no luggage and when they do, they like tend to keep their bag very close to themselves. They're usually clutching it in their hands. Like they, it's the only thing they have. Um, they usually don't do anything to distract themselves. Like you'd never see like a terrorist reading a book. Um, they're usually very, very focused on their mission and they don't have many distractions. Um, and then if traveling in groups, if there's a group of terrorists, you know, if a couple of terror eye, <laughs> uh, you know, a couple fucking five-star freaks show up, a couple of them, you know, usually they'll start, they'll never sit together or communicate directly with each other, but they'll always nervously glance at each other. So those were all of Huval's like telltale terrorist signs in an airport. You know, so at one point, so who all he was working at on multi multi anti-terrorist jobs at this point. And at one point, you know, in the air in the airport, he once identified a couple that were smuggling drugs. Never said what kind of drugs, you know, maybe it's good kind of drugs. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes people get scammed. 
I once saw this documentary about this Australian surfer chick that went to, was it Thailand? And then her surfboard bag was suddenly, when they got there, just filled with, like, pounds upon pounds of weed. And, like, weed is, like, punishable by death in Thailand. I'm pretty sure that's the story. And, like, there's, it was such a, I think it was, like, an HBO documentary about that. That'd be an interesting thing to talk about, but I don't know. I need to find more things about whatever. But that's a good documentary if you can if you know what I'm talking about. That was an interesting thing, you know. So I don't know. But maybe the people are just trying to get some weed, you know. Maybe this guy's just like fucking narc. Just let some people smoke some weed. Um he also identified an Arab man at an airport who uh turned out to be a terrorist on a recruiting mission. Um, so that's pretty good. You just see some guy, he's just like, man, I'm just, what? I was just going to go to Israel and tell some people that, hey, man, you can strap bombs to yourself too. You want to fucking strap bombs to yourself, man? Just strap bombs to yourself, man. And they're like, yeah, you're not going to Israel to tell people that. He's like, damn, I'm going to jail. They're like, yeah, you're going to jail. We might just kill you, actually, but you might go to jail. He's like, damn, I, man, I respect that. Obviously, that's not how that interrogation went. Um, uh, Huval also worked as a security guard for Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir. Uh, Huval, you know, at this point, basically fully embraced his life as a Mossad agent. You know, it was during this time that Huval got married to his girlfriend Shoshana. You know, mainly because he wanted to avoid anybody becoming suspicious. Like, why aren't you marrying your girlfriend, huh? You just banging her? What the fuck's up with you, you fucking weirdo? You know, he he needs to maintain an as normal appearing life as possible. He needs to appear as normal as possible. Um, so he married his wife. You know, he and he never he's never told Shoshana what he does for a living. But you know, they have an understanding. You know, whenever asked about his whereabouts, it's like he's doing work for the government. Which is way better than import-export. Doing work for the government, it's like, okay, you know he's doing top-secret shit and can't talk about it. But you're not suspecting illegal stuff, you know? You're expecting he's doing things for the better of society. You know, he's working for the government. But no, it turns out he's out there just killing people. So, whatever. Whatever! Um... Huval was stationed in France during the days of the Munich attack, or the day, I guess. Uh, he flew back to Israel on the day the victims were being buried. And then he basically flew out the next day, pretty much right after, and then returned a week later. This guy's flying all over the place, you know. This guy's making serious, like, this dude, if they had, like, if you get your miles, you know, this guy would be, like, if he was on Delta, if he was flying Delta, he would have some, like, serious Delta money. Like, don't, like, air miles and shit like that. Like, don't these places, don't they have, like, fucking airport money currency, basically? There's airport money, right? You can actually get airport money. That's a real thing, right? I'm not making this up. There is airport money that exists, okay? I know this. I know this. So, anyways, he eventually gets home from fucking... New York, he's finally back in Israel, and he's like, hell yeah, I'm just gonna go home, 
fuck my wife and we're gonna fuck her good and then tomorrow Sunday and we're gonna fuck and fuck and fuck except when he gets to the airport he's greeted by his boss and his boss tells him that he's gonna be picked up at the next day at 9am he's not told anything more he's just like 9am you're getting your shit picked up Uval's like fuck okay he basically almost forgets he's basically he's jacking off in the morning next thing it's 9am some dude starts knocking at his door he's like oh shit oh shit he's trying to come really fast before the guy before he answers the door, his wife goes and answers the door. He's like, oh, Huval, some guy's here for you. He's like, oh, no, I got to get one out. Oh, shit. Oh. And it's just a mess, right? He's just coming in the guy's face and stuff. And, like, what? who cares, right? But anyways, that's not what happened. Because at, at 9 a.m., Huval is greeted at the door by a chauffeur. He doesn't know who the chauffeur is for, but he, the chauffeur takes him outside to a car parked outside. And sitting inside the car is General Zvi. S-V-I, Z-V-I, how, how, what is that, Zvi Samir, Zvi Samir, um, who is the fucking head of the Mossad, this is the dude that runs the Mossad, um, Duval enters the car, they drive to Jer- Jerusalem, and nothing is discussed on the ride, uh, Samir asks Duval about his dad, you know, Mossad agents, no Mossad agents, and that's basically all they kind of they don't talk about where or why they're going really. Um, when they arrive in Jerusalem, they go inside of a house and they sit in the living room. And alongside Huval, Zamir, and his chauffeur, there's also Major General Ariel Sharon. Is all he's also in the room. Um, in 1972, Sharon is a major general of the Israeli Defense Force. Um, he was a notable figure and leader of many attack operations during the Suez Crisis. In the 1970s, he eventually became, he, ha, he started a career in uh, politics and eventually served as Prime Minister of Israel from 2001 to 2006. So this guy has some fucking longevity because we're talking about 1972 and then this guy becomes prime minister in the fucking 2000s. So this guy's been making moves. This guy m- makes moves his whole life. This guy's a move maker. Making money moves. Okay, this guy's living a five... This guy's got five-star taste and a five-star life. This guy's living five stars. Okay, this guy's wild. Shout out to Ariel. That's also a sick-ass name for a dude. Ariel. You gotta be hard. If your name's Ariel and you're, and you're a dude, you gotta rock that. You really have to be like really fucking rocket because most people are gonna be like you're a fucking mermaid and if you're also a fucking like leader of the israeli defense force and some dude calls you a mermaid you can just shoot him in the face with a fucking 22 beretta because you can do that and because you're a badass so anyways these guys are all these three cool guys on a random chauffeur are sitting in a room sitting in a living room and it's at this moment that the current Israeli Prime Minister, like 1972 current Prime Minister, Golda Meir, enters the room. Remember her? Remember her from the Munich attack? She was the one that's like, fuck all of them. We're not fucking talking terrorists. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're sitting in her living room. Okay. So Uval just randomly got picked up one day, and now he's in the Prime Minister's living room, and he has no fucking idea what's going on. Uh, Mir takes Golda Meir. Mir? Mer, I don't know what I don't know how anyone's name is pronounced. Did I make that? Did I make that announcement yet? I'm well. I, actually, I think 
I did say that in the last episode. You know, I did give the PSA of that I'm gonna fuck most people's names up. Okay, so anyways, uh, she takes the time to basically explain the history of attacks against Jews, including the recent Munich massacre. Um, Golda Mir, Golda, let's call her Golda. Goldie, so Goldie was unable to attend the ceremony for the slain Israeli athletes. And many think that it was because, you know, because many were pissed at her because she didn't do anything. She was like, we don't negotiate with terrorists in any capacity whatsoever. And then 11 people died because of that. And a lot of people were like, I'm going to fucking spit on her. And people think that she cowardly avoided that and stayed home. But then people also then learned that her sister recently died and she had a lot of shit going on in her plate. And you know what? She is a very angry bitch right now, okay? She's very mad. Um, so she she's angry. She wants to redeem herself. And after she is done speaking, General Sharon explains to Huval that he is going on a mission that will totally disrupt his life. So basically she gives the preamble of like, Blah, 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 blah. This is all the shit that happens. It's terrible. And then Sharon's like, yeah, so all these guys did terrible shit. We're going to go kill them all, pretty much. And uh, so that's the mission that he basically told <laughs> Okay. And he's going to have to, and Huval's going to have to leave Israel for a while. And uh, he's not going to be back for quite some time, possibly years. And uh, he's given 24 hours to make that decision. The mission, 11 targets. So within 24 hours, without really even knowing the exact details, just know that's sort of like a revenge mission against terrorists, which is like cool. So it's a counter-terrorist operation. Um, Huval is now back at Zamir's office, and he's agreeing to the mission, okay? He doesn't know how long he's going to be gone for. He doesn't even know really where he's going, what he's doing. He just knows he's going to kill some terrorists, Okay. So at this point then, Huval is then introduced to a man named Ephraim, who is Huval's case officer. And who and Ephraim explains that the mission is, quote, we have decided to put together a team to destroy the terrorists in Europe. So Huval is basically going to go to Europe and kill terrorists. That's the mission. That's all he knows now. And that's all... Ephraim's even telling him. That's all Zamir's told him. That's all Sharon's told him. That's all. That's all Goldie basically hinted towards. They're gonna go kill some fucking terrorists. Um, so Huval is forced to leave home for a few days and live with Ephraim in an undisclosed location. During this day, day, not day, stay. During this stay, I can't fucking read, man. I have glasses and I still can't read. During this stay, Huval is informed by Ephraim that by accepting the mission, his first part of the mission is to actually resign from the Mossad. He's quitting. He's got to quit. That's his mission, is to actually quit the Mossad. So, as part of his mission, Huval has to effectively cut all ties with the Mossad. As of going forward, even though he's working for the Mossad, he doesn't work for them. He never did. And he cannot seek their assistance for any reason. So he cannot, he's not working for the Mossad anymore. 
That's not a thing. He's the Mossad. What? Huval? Who? What? Never happened. Okay. Huval accepts this. Huval's then given all the money back that he had invested into his uh into his pension plan and all his benefits and stuff. That's all given back to him. And then they're like, it's basically Huval's deep. Okay. He knows too much. And basically at this point, it's all, it's heavily implied that if uh he were to leave or turn down doing this mission at any point, he would be killed. Basically, once he signed those papers saying he no longer works for the Mossad, scare quotes, he no longer works for the Mossad, which really means he really fucking works for the Mossad and is doing some real black op shit for the Mossad, okay? Real black op shit. Um, so, you know... He signed those papers, and now if he tries to back out of shit, they're going to kill him. He will be killed. Um, and at this point, Ethram explains in detail what the mission is. Guval is going to be a part of a team alongside four other men. Together, they are going to take down terrorist groups throughout Europe. The team will be completely self-reliant and will have no connection with Israel and the Mossad. There cannot be any connection between them. Nobody knows that this is a Mossad team, okay? They're not. On paper, they're not. They don't exist. This isn't happening. They don't exist. It's not the Mossad. It's not, it doesn't exist, okay? It's fight club rules, okay? It doesn't exist, okay? The team is comprised of people that are experts Experts in various fields such as weapons, explosives, logistics, documents, all the stuff that pe- people were trained in. Okay? <clears throat> uh. On September 20th, 1972, Huval arrives in Geneva, Switzerland. Upon arriving, he immediately set up two bank accounts and rented a safety deposit box. He deposited money into the accounts and then withdrew $50,000 from a bank account. Um, And then, so he set up one, and then one bank account was that. One every month, $3,000 would appear in that bank account, which was his pay, but he never had to actually take that money because all of the expenses were all called paid for because his job was a 24-7 job. He was working every second of the day, so therefore he's constantly on the clock, so technically it's all company money, all company time. So the Jews, okay, they had to keep the fucking receipts for literally everything, okay? Keep the receipts. Keep the fucking receipts. You know, you don't bring the fucking receipts to me. We're not going to fucking... You got to have the receipts, okay? I'm not going to do a fucking racist Jew voice. Should I? No. 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 That's inappropriate. Not this episode. The team had an operational budget of a quarter million dollars, but basically the money was constantly replenished, meaning they essentially had an endless supply of funds. They just constantly had a quarter million dollars just right there. And then if they spent that money, it would be filled back up very quickly. Um... But they were being very closely monitored, and all of their stuff had to be accounted for, basically. 
it, it's very weird that everything has to be accounted for, but yet it's a special ops mission that they don't want anybody to find anything. So you have to be, everyone's being super fucking careful. Okay. And then at the bank, a safety deposit box is, was opened and that would be the only way they could communicate with Ephraim. You know, like Huval would have to leave letters in the box for Ephraim to eventually retrieve and respond to. Although this was not expected to happen regularly. This was only supposed to happen for significant events, like saying reporting a debt, like they killed a guy, like being like, hey, we got a guy or something. At this point, Huval still had no idea who the other members of the team were. Um, the next day, Huval returns to Tel Aviv to meet his team. Huval walks into the room in Tel Aviv where the other four members of his team are sitting. Huval is shocked to see that all the men are much older than him. They're all in like their 40s. Huval, at this point, he's only 25, and he's been assigned the leader of this team. And he's the youngest guy on this team. Everyone on this team has more military experience. They all have any, they all have way more experience than him in any capacity of anything. Um, but they're cool with it. So the members introduce themselves and their specialties. Huval goes first, you know, and he's just like, yeah, you know, I got a fucking commando training, blah, blah, blah. I can shoot a gun. I got a sixth sense. I know how, I know how a 22 inch dick works. You know, I know this guy named Dave, whatever. We got that. Okay. And they're all like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Then there's a dude named Hans. Hans is the document specialist, okay? Hans speaks German and French. That's the really only thing you know about these guys is what they do and what they speak, okay? That's it. They keep it brief, okay? Then there's Robert. Robert, he's, a, he's the explosive expert, okay? He's the bad boy, okay? He speaks English and Hebrew, okay? Then there's Steve. Steve's the transportation expert. He just knows shit about cars. He speaks English, German, and Afrikaans, which is not useful at all really because they're in Europe they're not in Africa they're not really going to be speaking to any white South African people okay and lastly the oldest member of the team Carl and Carl had perhaps the most difficult job on the team he's what you would call the handyman or the sweeper um he's essentially a cleaner like Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction but like Slightly different. Like, he basically makes sure there's no trace of, of evidence left behind. He makes sure after they kill a target, he sticks around and makes sure that nobody makes any connection between that murder and this team. Nobody can make that connection whatsoever. And that's his job is to make sure that that connection is never made. Um, so he has to stick around in the target areas for a little longer and it's a little riskier. Okay? So... That's Carl. Carl's a cool fucking dude. Shout out to Carl. Um, so these men will basically only see and talk to each other. These are the only people, these five dudes, that's all they're going to know for the next couple months is these five dudes and finding the other terrorists. Okay? Huval and his team are given a list of names that they are expected to terminate. On September 25th, the team goes to Geneva and begins their mission. They will have no more connection to the outside world. Their work 
is their life now. There are 11 names on the list, okay? And they are expected to make an example of the terrorists they kill. They want to instill, instill, instill fear into the terrorists, okay? But the killings have to be precise, okay? They cannot, they can't get any wrong fucking targets. They can't hit, hurt any innocent bystanders, okay? There can't be any fuck-ups ever. They can't fuck up anything, okay? The targets have to be 100% identified. They're like, I think this guy, I think this guy might be the terrorist. They can't, no. Basically, they like they basically have to come within the point of the guy being like, "Yes, I am the terrorist that you are looking for," and then they can be like, "Okay, remember two shots, two shots." Okay, there's absolutely no room for any error. Okay, can't have witnesses, bystanders, fucking nothing. Okay, can't leave anything fucking behind. Okay, so Huval and Carl, they're sort of leading the shit. Okay, and they receive all the target information and they have to memorize all this shit. All of that shit. They have to memorize all their fucking lives, what they do, where they are, and blah, 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 blah. All that fucking information. And uh, <clears throat> they were able to bring photographs of the targets to show others, but basically they couldn't keep them for very long and the photos had to be destroyed. So... They had to know their targets. And the 11 targets are as follows. Number one, Ali Hassan Salome, who is regarded as the main architect of the Munich massacre. massacre. Number two, Abu Daoud, the explosives expert of the Black September group. Three, Mahmoud Hamshari, an intellectual diplomat who's also a leader of a fringe terrorist group of some kind. Um, Wiley, Wiley Zwader, who is a poet that is also a leader of like another like fringe terrorist group or something. Okay, then there's Dr. Basil Al-Kubaisi, who was a purchaser of weapons for the Popular Front. Then we got Kamal Nasser, who was the public relations chief for the Al-Fatah and basically the official spokesman for the PLO. And, you know, he was very open about his terrorist connections. He was like, yes, I, I love terrorism. I love it. I, love, I want everyone to know I love terrorism. And the Mossad fucking knew. Um, then there was Kamal Adwan. He was the leader of sabotage operations for Al-Fatah in Israel-occupied land. Um, then we got Mahmoud Youssef Najur, known as Abu Youssef. And he was responsible for the liaison between the Al-Fatah and Black September. So he got them together and was like, yo, you guys both hate fucking Jews. Why don't y'all like work together to kill the Jews? And they're like, yo, that's fucking genius, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um uh, where was I? And then where was it? Oh, we got Mohammed Bodia, who was an Algerian actor living in Paris who had unknown terrorist connections. He's terrorists of some kind. Then there's Hussein Abad Al Shir who was PLO's main contact with the KGB. 
the KGB or some fucking evil motherfucking Russian motherfuckers. Okay, you don't want to fuck with the KGB. They will fuck you up. But the PLO had connections to the KGB. That's probably their weapon contact. That's probably how they got weapons and shit like that with KGB. Because KGB, they got weapons. Okay. Then there was Dr. Wadi Haddad, who is basically the mastermind of like these palace, some of these Palestinian terrorist groups. And one of the most, one of the major leaders of the Palestinian groups. Um, so these, these were all names that Mossad agents were actually familiar with. You know, these were guys that they were familiar with. And as part of their mission, you know, they just had to take out as many of these names as possible. They just had to take out as, that was their mission. Just here's 11 names. Get as many of these fuck faces as you can. Do what you can. And so, at this point, you know, Huval's like, fuck, I gotta, we gotta do some shit. And all the guys on the team, they're preparing for some shit. And they got one day. They got one day to get their life together, have some time. Huval, you know, he has one, his last day with his wife. He goes, he goes, fucks her. She's pregnant. You know, maybe he has some nice pregnancy sex. You know, maybe she's really into that. And maybe he pops another baby in there, too. Who knows? Who knows what he's doing? You know, but he only had one day left, and uh, he fucked. He fucked. And then on September 25th, 1972, the five team members arrived in Geneva and began planning on how to take out their targets and this is the official beginning of Operation Wrath of God. Next week on Otis Morris Hates Himself. Okay, so that was that was part two of Operation Wrath of God. Um, so that just covered all the training stuff, all the training stuff. That's interesting stuff that people should know is training um, you want to know how fucking special agents are made? Well, now you know. I just told you how you make a special agent. You're just making a murderer? Why not making a special agent? That's a way better show. Making a murderer is fucking corny and stupid. Who gives a shit about that show? That family's fucking retarded anyways. Just a bunch of dumb idiots watching WrestleMania. They don't know what the fuck's going on. Okay? It's, they're dumb. They're big dumb-dumbs. Um... So, yeah, so the next, I don't know, there might be another two episodes, maybe three, I don't know. The next two or three, they're going to cover basically all the attacks on these 11 targets that we now have. We now know who they're going after. We now know basically what they have and you know next we're gonna see what they decide are they just gonna go and just fucking pop a dude in the streets because you know that's not very special op shit are they gonna send him like a fucking some sort of crazy bomb or something that he thinks is like a christmas gift or something who knows nobody knows what's gonna happen uh we'll find out we'll find out this is gonna be a good series it's a good series i'm stoked on this topic um yeah, hopefully I'll make sure to not record this episode so late at night. But, uh, whatever. This is the episode. Um, yeah. Like and subscribe the podcast on, you know, iTunes, Spotify. Leave a five-star review wherever you can. Um, 
follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I am Otis Morris. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Um, <clears throat> tell your friends. You know, be like, hey, here's a here's a podcast you might like. Give it a listen. Just just listen to it, okay? <clears throat> I I don't really have a voice anymore. I've been my throat really hurts, so I'm just gonna end this episode, okay? Yes, cool. Okay, we good. Good. We, good? we, good? we everything's chill. Hell yeah. All right, I'll I'll talk to you fuckfaces next week. Okay, peace out. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs>